And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning. Welcome to the show. It's Monday, of course, as we uh, kick into mid-month gear here in May and get ready to fall into summer. Seniors, at least in uh, Texas now, out of high school for the year. Junior's got two more weeks. Sorry. <laughs> it's still got to go. But, uh, you know, so, so I mean, we're starting to get to the summer, right? I mean, it's right around the corner. You know, welcome to Texas. Mosquitoes are back out again. Can't have summer without some mosquitoes. What makes it all fun? <laughs> They're the size of small birds. <laughs> exactly. So uh, just when you thought it was safe to go travel, right? Um, you know, interesting article. Actually, let me back up real quick. Interesting article out last week talking about the Mediterranean diet. Now, you know, on the show every now and then we talk a lot about health and fitness because one of the ways to increase your financial wealth in retirement is not to spend so much of it in a hospital. And so considering that, you know, we've done decades worth of damage to ourselves overeating and very fattening foods, et cetera, that's why we have such a high rate of, of people in hospitals with diabetes and th- these type of things. And, or, or as, uh, you know, Wilford Brimley says, diabetes. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> if you got the if you got the diabetes, you got, yeah. This, but that, that's all part of diet, right? We don't exercise enough. We don't eat well, of course. Fast food, etc. Interesting article out last week that the Mediterranean diet shows signs of reducing Alzheimer's. So your chance of getting Alzheimer's. So if you if you're you know still you know kind of uh, got your mental faculties about you, think about the the Mediterranean diet. And the reason I bring this up is the Mediterranean diet not only helps you, basically you know, defend against getting Alzheimer's, but it will keep your weight down. And this is a good thing because if you want to travel, airline companies are now saying, yeah, now that we're opening back up, we're going to start potentially weighing passengers because of the obesity crisis in America, right? Now, you know, back in the 1980s, before we allowed the Department of Education to take over education system, we used to rank you know, number one, two, three, four, you know, in math and science and, and language around the world, right? Today, we're in the 20s and 30s ever since the Department of Education took over, and it's getting rapidly worse now with this, all of this adoption of the 1619 Project, et cetera. Um, you know, our future education system is under attack, and, and the quality of students that we're going to produce over the next, really, two or three decades are going to be sorely undereducated, uh, particularly as we move more and more into these ideas is that you know it's not a meritocracy in other words education system isn't based on merit it's based on other factors of equality right so we don't have to be that smart we just need to all be equal and the problem with this is always the case is that it takes your education system down to the lowest possible rung right to make everybody equal we have to be equal with the with the person that's at the bottom end of the ladder and that's just the way it works. So, you know, this is going to be a problem going forward. So we have this, this whole idea uh, that we're changing. But again, you know, the, the whole system here is now beginning to move towards this, this overall structure of, of equality and meritocracy or lack of meritocracy, I should say, move away from it. So anyway, um, interesting stories out of the weekend. Just, I mean, just really kind of no matter where you look, just some very interesting things that are occurring. And, you know, we just need to start thinking about... <laughs> You know, maybe things that actually matter down the road. But again, if you want to fly, 
um, you know, we haven't done a, a really good job of taking care of ourselves in, in a lot of different, a lot of different. You know, when you ever let government involved in things, <laughs> it's going the wrong direction. Just when you thought, just when you flying thought. <laughs> couldn't be any less fun. <laughs> yeah, if you like to fly, you have to weigh this much. <laughs> Oh, it's like the rides. Right? I know that's what I'm saying. <laughs> Must yeah, be this exactly. Tall. <laughs> yeah, when you go to the when you go to the airport now, there'll be one of those th- one of those signs there that says you have to be this tall and weigh this much if you want to fly. If not, sorry. Uh, I've never actually seen anybody get turned away at a roller coaster though. I've never. <laughs> There's some kid like you know, 14 years old. Like, yeah, get on. Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, all right. Look, a couple of things get to work on this morning uh, as we kind of get this Monday going. Um, first of all, we talked about um, last week our money flow indicator on the S&P still has not turned positive. I mean, it has been just kind of a brutal couple of weeks. And despite the fact we had this breakout to new highs, it was just, you know, last Monday we had this breakout to new highs. Things were very exuberant. Uh, quickly gave that up and all of a sudden retested the 50-day moving average. So, I mean, just out of nowhere, just kind of a big sell program last week. But again, what we've been saying is that this what this money flow indicator tends to tell you is what's happening inside of the markets, right? And what it was telling us is that despite the fact markets were trying to rally here, uh, really, we haven't gone anywhere. And, and again, this is typical of a money flow indicator sometimes when money flows remain positive, which has been the case. And again, we've, we've said repeatedly over the last month now that once we got that sell signal, it suggested that upside to prices were somewhat limited. And that's actually been the case. We've actually gone nowhere now, except for a lot of churning around, uh, have gone nowhere in the markets now for almost a month. So again, we are getting to the end of this. And again, as we talked about last week as well, the NASDAQ is actually much closer now to signaling a buy signal versus the S. S&P. Um, again, both sell signals here, the MACD and the money flows, very, very oversold here. And the money flow indicator, very close to turning positive. Now, the NASDAQ rallied last week, touching the 50-day moving average, technically a little bit worse off than the S&P. The S&P actually bounced off the 50-day moving average, much more of a bullish position than the NASDAQ testing from underneath the resistance at the 50-day moving average. So today's action is going to be interesting because markets do look to open up a little bit weaker this morning, not surprising after that big rally that we had on Friday. But again, we're going to open up a little bit weaker this morning. It's going to be essential, though, that this week that the NASDAQ gets above the 50-day moving average and triggers that money flow buy signal. We need to get kind of that action back going again. If that occurs, we'll likely see the same thing uh, occur with the S&P breaking above the 20-day moving average, heading back towards all-time highs, flipping the money flow indicator back positive on the S&P as well. That would not be a surprise this week at all, considering the, the depth of the contraction that we've had here really over the, the last week, but also this consolidation that we've been in for the last month. So again, just markets have gotten a little bit extended during this, uh, during this consolidation process. So we'll see how this kind of works out. But again, we've got a couple other factors that are starting to kind of line up here. One, as we saw last week, inflationary pressures are definitely showing up in the system. That's going to begin to weigh on outlooks and expectations for corporations. In fact, the number of companies announcing or talking about inflation during their earnings calls has spiked sharply here. That is definitely coming into the system. The other side of this also is that we are getting to the end of earnings season. This is likely going to be one of the better terms of year-over-year increases in earnings because of what 
what was happening last year. Um, as we get into the third quarter earnings, we're going to start having better year-over-year comparisons as we start to, to move forward here. So again, you know, we're likely seeing kind of the peak of earnings growth here. And as we move into 2022, we're going to start to see the rate of growth in earnings begin to contract here a bit. But things like very sharply spiking inflationary numbers, things like slowing economic growth, um, more negative sentiment by consumers, that's going to start revising some of these forward estimates um, down a bit, who, which have gotten very exuberant as of late. So again, that's all going to potentially weigh on prices here as we move forward over the course of the next couple of, of really next several months. If we, if we are indeed at the position of kind of seeing this peak economic rebound from the lows and kind of the depths of the pandemic shutdown last year, that'll likely correspond also with a peak in earnings growth which again, prices of the markets have really priced in the best of economic and earnings growth outcome already. So again, kind of that peak in earnings growth, peak in economic expectations likely to start to weigh on prices as we move further into the year. All right, back after the break, a lot of stuff to get into this morning. Got a conversation to talk about Bitcoin and cryptocurrency and the IRS. Uh, speaking of, we're coming up on tax day. We'll be right back. Listening to the Real Investment Show. Our best candid coffee ever is coming up Saturday, May 22nd with Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff, plus a very special guest appearance by Lance Roberts with his popular mid year investment review. We're going for the best on our next candid coffee. The best types of accounts for saving for health care, retirement, and emergency reserve. And Lance's mid year investment review on candid coffee with Ratliff and Rosso and Robert. Register now at Real Investment realinvestmentadvice.com The Real Investment Show Six seventeen. All right, couple of things here. Uh, it is uh, unfortunately coming up on tax day now. Um, you know, IRS gave you a little bit of a breather room, but uh, unfortunately, the tax man cometh as he always does <laughs> eventually. So, got to make sure you either have your extension filed or you know get your taxes filed. One or the other, no big deal. Um, interestingly enough, though, one of the things that you know, we've talked about on the show before here. And when we said this on the show before, we got lots of emails like, oh, that'll never happen and blah, blah, blah. And we we're talking about cryptocurrency and we said, look, you know, it's all fine. You know, cryptocurrency is fine. But there's a couple of things that are going to happen ultimately. And, and that's going to be that if the use of a digital currency becomes a threat to U.S. national security, that will pretty much mark the end of how long that it will be allowed to exist on an unregulated basis. And, and the reason is simply this, twofold. One, the U.S. dollar is the reserve currency of the world. And the reason that is important is that in the world of transactions, when anything occurs in the world in terms of uh, transportations of goods, purchases of services, those type of things, um, acquisition of commodities, they're traded in the reserve currency. And the reserve currency right now is the dollar. So if you buy gold anywhere in the world, as an example, or crude oil anywhere in the world, it's transacted in dollars. 
So whatever your currency you're in, you've got to switch to the dollar to make the make the purchase. And that gives the U.S. economy a bailiwick of strength because of that reserve currency status supports the economy. And why do you have that? Why do you have that reserve currency status? Somebody just said, you know, the the reserve currency fairy didn't wake up one day and go, dink, okay, we're picking the U.S., (laughs) right? (laughs) It's your turn. It's not the way it happens. Reserve currency becomes an issue that com- that countries migrate to because of several things. One, the rule of law is one. Making sure that transactions are completed on a timely basis. So there, there's a region that Nigeria and the Nigerian prince that has an email scam every other month <laughs> is never going to be the reserve currency, right? Because there's no rule of law. The other side of this is also the depth of the currency, the currency has to be large enough to handle trillions of dollars worth of transactions on a monthly basis, which is what happens. I mean, all, think about all the transactions that go on internationally. The currency has to be extremely deep so that it's stable. You can't have prices jumping all over the place from one day to the next because people need stability in knowing that, hey, if I'm selling my goods, if I'm selling my goods to Brent today and he's not going to receive them for two weeks or a week or whatever the time frame is when he pays for the goods, I need to know that my <laughs> the value of the goods I've shipped out are somewhat stable. It can't be moving up 10% one day and down 10% another day, right? I've got to have stability in order to run my business. So the depth of the currency, the stability of the currency is extremely important. The other thing is about national security. I got to know where the money flows are going. Right? I've got to know I've got to be able to track where money's going to make sure that we're not funding terrorist organizations or illicit activities or things that could be damaging to the US. National security is an important issue. And these are all things that all cryptocurrencies lack. The depth, the Stability, and most importantly, the trackability at this point, right? And so it was only a function of time until something happens and is, is going to start getting the national attention of the U.S., and that happened last week with the pipeline shutdown and the ransomware attack. So now you've shut down a pipeline, so, you know, Bad actors, whoever they whoever they are, right? Whoever did it doesn't matter. You you know, four teenagers in Wisconsin or the or Russian hacking group. It doesn't matter who did it, right? But whoever shut down the pipeline with a ransomware attack demanded five million dollars in Bitcoin, which was apparently paid. I have no confirmation of that, but headline sources say that that the pipeline paid five million dollars to reopen the Colonial Pipeline. Okay. That's a problem. And that's a national security issue. So this is now going to bring cryptocurrency right front and center into into the issue of the NSA, the CIA, the FBI, the National Security Council, so forth and so on. The other side of this has also been the function that a lot of people are making a lot of money in uh, cryptocurrency and not paying taxes on it. So there's this other three-letter government agency called the IRS <laughs> who would like their fair share 
right? You know, it's interesting that we have this whole group of millennial investors out there that are talking about, you know, big corporations need to pay their fair share. Just don't tax me on my gains I made in Bitcoin. <laughs> it's all fun and games until the IRS comes for you. And that's exactly what's going to happen. The IRS is now launching a crackdown. This is according to a um, recent uh, report from Reuters. Uh, sorry, the Wall Street Journal. My apologies. The DOJ and the IRS are now clamping down on crypto investors after digging into Binance, which was one of these uh, crypto exchanges, over allegations of tax fraud, manipulation, and anti-money laundering violations, right? So again, illicit, illicit activities, right? That was just an indication from the government that is taking enforcement of securities taxes tied to crypto wealth very seriously. In case that wasn't very clear, the Wall Street, uh, Wall Street Journal, I will spit that out on this uh, Monday morning, published a story in its tax report section with the federal tax deadline just days away, May 17th, as I was saying earlier, reminding him and readers that the IRS under President Biden is coming for your crypto wealth and those who don't cough it up may be subject to harsh penalties, both financial and criminal. And remember, if you made a couple of million dollars trading Dogecoin last year, fantastic, very happy for you, you're going to owe normal income tax on that, not capital gains tax. If it was held for less than a year, you pay your normal income tax. And a $2 million income, that's going to throw you right up there into the midst of the new highly upgraded tax plan <laughs> of Joe Biden wanting to collect a swift 39.6% of your wealth. So make sure and set aside 40% of your, your gains uh, to pay for taxes. Um, but this is, just, this is just part of it. You know, We talked about just recently that the U.S. is already exper experimenting with five versions of cryptocurrencies. Look, th the end of this game is very clear. And at some point, the, the U.S. is going to step in. They're going to say, hey, here is the U.S. dollar, the U.S. crypto dollar. This is the only cryptocurrency that you can own or trade or have. If printing currency and making up currency out of thin air was not a problem, <laughs> then we wouldn't worry about people counterfeiting bills in the basement, right? But we do for a variety of reasons, and one of those is control of the money supply. And that's going to be one of the issues down the road. But look, that's that when it happens, it'll happen. But eventually, the, as as more and more countries come around and and see the viability of an all, and look, we've been moving towards a digital currency in the U.S. and really worldwide for years now, right? We've we've gotten away from. I mean, when was the last time that you went to Starbucks and whipped out a twenty dollar bill and handed it to somebody to pay for a cup of coffee? You will get more dirty looks in line than just. A, <laughs> Out anybody. They don't know what to do with they, it. A, they don't know what to do with it. And B, making change is a whole new, whole new issue. <laughs> if you really want to mess them up, <laughs> give them extra change to make it round up to an even change exchange, right? That'll really screw up the, 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 the barista behind the counter that, you know, basically doesn't pass math in school. Anyway, um, but yeah, so I mean, we've been moving to a digital currency for a long time. People are using more and more credit cards and debit cards to pay for everything's right. It's all it's all becoming digital. So the last move of this will be a digital dollar eventually. And I know a lot of people are going to get emails now saying, no, that'll never happen. It's going to happen. Just it's going to take time, but it'll get there. 
and the IRS is coming after your wealth. Um, so <laughs> just just be aware of that. And if you've never been through an IRS audit, it is not a pleasant thing. Um, it is pretty much equivalent of getting a colonoscopy. So <laughs> you might as well, without the drugs, yes. <laughs> you get no drugs, <laughs> just a very nasty letter. So, and then it starts. Uh, anyway, just something to pay attention to. All right. Um, but it, but it is interesting because look, it's uh, over the weekend. Elon Musk really kind of fell in the middle of it again. <laughs> you know, he told a bunch of crypto people, "Have you ever heard of PayPal?" <laughs> and uh, that kind of really started off of a firestorm. And Bitcoin is is now. And there were concerns over the weekend that Elon Musk had dumped all of his Bitcoin. Now apparently, he's come out and said he didn't. Does that uh, mean Bitcoin? I mean that uh, PayPal is going to have a boost today? I, I, you know, it wouldn't surprise me at all. Just saying, it would not surprise me at all. Um, but this morning, uh, Bitcoin's going to be down. I think one or two percent this morning. I haven't, I haven't looked at the quote this morning. I looked at it last night. But uh, you know, hey, but you know, look, Bitcoin's had a. a you know, it was, it was. Oh, here we go. Uh, forty-five thousand. Uh, forty-five thousand uh, dollars right now for Bitcoin. Forty-five two eighteen. Uh, remember, Bitcoin is almost sixty thousand. It's like fifty-seven thousand just a week or so ago. So it's been a fairly decent correction in Bitcoin over the last week. Uh, that also kind of fell along, and, and really, the Bitcoin has been much more tied to the market. Um, it's really got a fairly high correlation to the ebbs and flows of the markets in, in a lot of reasons because it's more of a speculative asset like stocks at this point. But again, just something to kind of pay attention to. Okay, come back from the break. Stanley Drunken Miller out last week. I call him Drunken Miller. Uh, <laughs> out last week talking about the Fed, inflation, uh, but he made some interesting comments relating to the Fed itself and, you know, what the Fed has done, you know, to the United States. And the question is, why do we want them to keep doing this, right? Well, we'll talk about it. We'll come back from the break. I'm your host, Lance Roberts. Don't go away. Listening to The Real Investment Show. Our best candid coffee ever is coming up Saturday, May 22nd with Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff, plus a very special guest appearance by Lance Roberts with his popular mid year investment review. We're going for the best on our next candid coffee. The best types of accounts for saving for health care, retirement, and emergency reserve. And Lance's mid year investment review on candid coffee with Ratliff and Rosso and Robert. Register now at Real Investment Advice.com. Real Investment Advice. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. So Stanley Drunken Miller, uh, last week, having a conversation uh, talking about a lot of things actually kind of a wide-ranging conversation talking about inflation talking about the markets um you know this was kind of one of those things and he brought up an interesting statement saying that the fed policy is endangering the dollar's reserve status now this is kind of following along with our 
cryptocurrency conversation here a second ago. And I agree and I disagree. The reason, I mean, I definitely, I, you know, I definitely agree with him that, you know, what the Fed's been doing is certainly endangering the financial structure of the economy and the markets, right? No, no, there's really no argument about that. Whether or not that is endangering the dollar's reserve status is a possibility, but it's it's a it's a much more far-reaching one. And the reason I say that is, is that if you go back to our previous conversation about dollar reserve status, the question becomes: Okay, great. If it's not the dollar, then who? All right, so let's go back to the, va- the basic premise of the dollar reserve status and why the U.S. is the reserve currency now. Economic strength, rule of law, stability. That's really the three keys behind and, and the depth of the currency, right? How big is the currency to, to handle transactions? So... If you're not going to use their reserve, the U.S. dollar as a reserve currency, who are you going to use? China, Russia, North Korea, Spain, France, England, Eurozone. You know, maybe you could pull the euro off. But the problem is, is those countries are so racked relative to the U.S. Doesn't seem like a likely fit that people would be willing to accept euros for transactions. Again, stability of currency, economic outlooks. These are all very important things to that reserve status. Really, there's no other option at this point. So what the Fed is doing, I I definitely agree with Druckenmiller on the fact that the Fed is certainly impairing the economic viability of the economy long term by doing the things that they're doing. And also, not just them, right? It's not just the monetary policy. It's also the fiscal policy choices that we're making in government now. You know, we just increased our deficit by five, uh, our debt by $5 trillion in a year, running nearly a $4 trillion deficit. That is certainly not healthy for any economy long term. Now, now the, the, the thought is, is, hey, we'll grow our way out of this. No, we won't. We've been, we've been running that game now for over 20 years and it hasn't happened yet. Keep thinking we can spend more and more and we'll eventually grow our way out of the debt problem, and we don't. We just keep getting a bigger debt problem and no economic growth out of it, and that's, that's the problem with debt, right? Debt pulls forward future consumption, so you've got to keep going further into debt to keep pulling forward future consumption in order to keep economic growth stable. That's the best we can do at this point. We can't create economic growth because we've stripped away what leads to organic economic activity. We, we don't allow capitalism to function. In order to allow capitalism to function, you've got to let businesses fail, and we don't do that anymore. Got to let households fail. Got to let people lose their houses. You've got to let people go bankrupt. That's the process of capitalism. It's ugly. It's brutal. It's Darwinistic in nature, but that's how it works. That's what capitalism is. Capitalism is brutal. It's not a design to be a utopia. It's not designed that way. It is designed to create wealth and a lot of it. But you also, it is also a brutal thing in nature. 
and we have to allow that to occur, but we've decided not to do that. So the consequence of that is we have moved us more and more towards a socialistic society, and we're paying the consequences for that already, and we just don't understand why yet. Everybody's wondering around. It's like, why can't we get people to show up for work? Let me give you a clue. It was interesting. A chart out this morning uh, put out on Twitter showing the massive spike in Google searches for worker shortage. There is no worker shortage. In order to have a worker shortage, that means you've got no labor available to work. Everybody's working. With the labor force participation rate barely above 50%, I argue that is not nearly the case. What you have is a shortage of people willing to go to work. Very different idea. And that's because of the benefits that we're paying out, right? No sense in going to work if I can make more staying at home. That's why we're seeing states now, I think 12 states now, have repealed the extended unemployment benefits for exactly that reason. The U.S. Chamber of Commerce has also lobbied the Biden administration for exactly that same reason. It's impairing the economic recovery by paying people to stay at home. But that's what you get with socialism. And this is, this is the whole idea that's always so funny about it is, is that people who support these ideas, they go, well, you know, if we give people a living wage to stay at home, they'll, then they'll take that money and then they'll go to work because then they'll have a lot of extra money. No, they won't. <laughs> people are inherently lazy. They don't want to work. Work sucks. You know, getting up and going to work every day, it's horrible, right? I'd much rather stay at home and, you know, scroll TikTok all day. That's much more fun, right? Playing video games is a lot more fun than going to work. But that's the problem with socialism. And as we were talking about a second ago, when you start, you know, removing things out of the economy where it is based on merit, right? A meritocracy-based economy. In other words, you are rewarded for what you do. And you start making this a function of equality, you drive everything to the lowest possible rung. I've used this example before, but let me give it to you again. Think about a classroom, college classroom, right? Everybody shows up. Professor says, hey, we're going to have a test this week. So everybody goes home. There's always that group of kids that stay up all night. They study. They're super smart. They do the work. Then there's the other group of kids that go out and party all night, you know, don't study. And then everybody shows up, takes the test. Well, everybody takes the test. Bunch of kids make A's, bunch of kids make B's, bunch of kids make C's, bunch of kids fail, right? Normal distribution of, gra- of test grades, right? Few A's, a lot more B's and C's, few D's and F's. That's the normal distribution. But the professor says, hey, you know what we're going to do is, is because we're not going to really reward people on merit, right? The people that stayed up all night got A's. You really don't get your A. And the people that stayed out all night and partied, well, we, we understand you know, college is tough. You need to go out and drink a bit and party and blow off some steam. So what we're going to do is we'll just average all the grades. So everybody gets a B, right? That's the movement to equality. That's, that's, that's getting rid of meritocracy, being graded on merit versus equality. Now we're going to make everybody equal. So what happens in the next test is that instead of the kids staying up all night studying, they go out and party along with everybody else. Like, why study if we're just all going to get the same grade? Everybody shows up, takes the test. Now the average grade is a low C. 
that's what happens in a equality-based educational system, an equality-based economy, an equality-based environment. When you move in that direction, you lower everything to the lowest common possible denominator because you have to make everything equal. And equal equality doesn't exist at the highest level of production. Equality exists at the lowest level of production. And this is the problem that we've moved into in our current economic environment is that we don't believe that capitalism should be allowed to function, right? The, the merit-based system has been set aside in exchange for this idea that social equality, economic equality, financial equality is better. But the results, historically, going back through history, do not prove that to actually be the case in any country that's tried it. But hey, we're going to try it again. <laughs> and maybe we'll get a different result this time. It's possible. I'm not saying it's not possible, right? There's, there's always possibility, right? We can never, never exclude the outlier possibility that something could occur that allows socialism to prosper in the United States, even though it's failed in every other country it's been tried. Could be different this time. But Drunken Miller's point, though, about the Fed is that the policies that the Fed is doing is driving that whole equality-based system. And it's distorting economics and capitalism. good example of this was in March 2020. As the economy was coming apart, it seems... The Fed stepped out and said, hey, we're going to start buying bonds, bond ETFs of corporations. Now, a lot of these corporations that needed a bailout, did they really need to be bailed out? They had the ability to go sell their own stock. They could have done. They could have gone and issued debt on their own to raise capital to stay in business. But no, they wanted a bailout from the government after spending years spending all their capital, buying back their own stock to boost their own share prices for the benefit of corporate insiders. But that's how, but instead of allowing the Fed, but instead of the Fed allowing capitalism to work and forcing these companies to change their ways, they actually said, you know what? It's okay. Keep doing what you're doing. We're going to give you support. It's, it's the same thing as your kid running out into the street in front of traffic. And then you give the kid a lollipop and say, never do that again. What do you think is going to happen the next time? Right? Be right back after the break. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Our best candid coffee ever is coming up Saturday, May 22nd with Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff. Plus, a very special guest appearance by Lance Roberts with his popular mid-year investment review. We're going for the best on our next candid coffee. The best types of accounts for saving for health care, retirement, and emergency reserve. And Lance's mid-year investment review on candid coffee with Ratliff and Rosso and Robert. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. Yeah. 
back to the show this morning. I'm your host, Lance Roberts. All right. You know, we're getting into uh, the depth of earnings season when you start seeing these headlines. Before market opened this morning, Lordstown Motor Corporation is expected to report adjusted losses of 28 cents of share on no meaningful revenue. <laughs> Post-market. Shares of Fisker is expected to report adjusted losses of 19 cents per share on no meaningful revenue. <laughs> so we're, we're starting to scrape the barrel here for earnings as we get closer to the end of the reporting season. <laughs> but uh, but you know this is the this is the issue with a lot of these uh, companies that have gone public this year through SPACs like Lordstown's Motors, like Fisker. They've gone public through SPACs, um, and these companies aren't manufacturing anything right now. They're still in that idea that they're going to start producing electric cars in quantity and they're going to get out to to main street america and it's going to be fantastic and it's going to be awesome everybody will have an electric car um question is going to be ultimately is you know who the winner is going to be and it's probably not going to be who you think um a lot of people go well tesla's got this sewn up probably not um it'll probably be something that we don't expect. And that's generally the case that it is. It's, it's generally the thing that we don't expect that winds up winning in a space. It's not generally the things that we bet on early in the environment. It could be. I'm, I'm not saying that Tesla is not going to be the king of electric vehicle makers 10 years from now. Um, but his, history suggests that that's often not the case. Um, early, early things that come in, and again, not I'm not saying 100% of the time at all. There's clear evidence of companies that have been early into the game and became the winner. Amazon's a good example of that. It's just often, more often than not, it's not the case because things change, uh, consumer consumer changes, things things occur in the economy, and you know the the attitudes of consumers change and and move back towards other things that they gravitate to, and you never know what those are going to be just the way it occurs. But, you know, it is interesting. There's a lot of companies coming out creating electric car companies. Certainly, it's certainly going to be a, a wave of the future. There's there is definitely going to be electric vehicles with us from now on, and they will become a larger and larger share of the total auto market. Now, will they become the majority share? Who knows, right? Um, there's a lot of things that are going to, that are going to have to improve you know, distance of charges and, and the time it takes to recharge. You know, there's an interesting article out just a couple of weeks ago about electric vehicles. Uh, people are trading in their Teslas to buy gas-powered cars because of the hassle of charging the car, especially like if you go on a trip somewhere and then have to wait a couple hours to charge your car or 30 minutes or 45 minutes when I can pull into a gas pump, five minutes on my way, right? So convenience is important. So part of what we'll have to adapt to original uh, next will be, you know, faster charging, et cetera, or an alternative source of power that doesn't require the charging time. So hydrogen, natural gas, you know, something like that. So what, what, what becomes the next wave? Who knows what it is, but it's just that kind of idea. But again, right now, the attitude is, is that it's electric cars and there's a lot of companies out there trying to go public or going public through SPACs and be careful. And my point about this is, is be careful. You know, there's a lot of people kind of piling into these cars thinking, Hey, this is going to be the next thing. Studebaker, Edsel, <laughs> there's a, there's a litany of cars, DeLorean, uh, throughout history that tried to do innovation in the automobile industry and ultimately failed. Right. 
things change. And so just be careful where you're putting your money, right? Be careful where you're chasing things. And, you know, those, and that's just the important part about investing, you know, long term. I got an article coming out um, in the next week or so talking about the importance of understanding market cycles and why market cycles are very important to long-term investing. And there's a huge differential between long-term cycles and short-term cycles. And believe it or not, we've been in a 12-year bull market cycle. That's a short-term cycle relative to the long-term investing horizon of a lot of investors, right? So, you know, a big part of investing is where you start your journey. Because over a period of time, you're going to have both a bull market cycle and a bear market cycle. And right now, the attitude is, is that we can never have a bear market cycle again. I was just uh, got a tweet this morning from a young CFA who's never seen a bear market <laughs> saying that this, this, this bull market cycle will never end because the Fed will just start buying stocks or doing whatever. And that may well seem to be the case. The Fed can just keep propping up the markets forever and ever. But there's always the issue of something that changes in the economic environment. And somebody holds up their hand and says, I'm out. And once that occurs, you have the other side of your market cycle. And again, we've had a very long first half of this bull market cycle, right? So we've had 12 years of a bull market. And we will eventually have another half of this cycle at some point that will lead to rather large losses. But that's just the way markets work over time, right? Just, and go back through history. And again, you know, there's always that interesting chart that a lot of advisors will whip out. You go in, you talk to them, and they, they whip out a chart and say, look, here's a chart of the market from 1900 to present. So 121 years. And just look, it goes lower left-hand corner to upper right-hand corner. If you were just invested this whole amount of time, you would have made this much money. And that's true. Right, that's very true. Except the part that they fail to tell you, which is that out of that 121-year period, there have been nine cycles. There's been five bull markets and four bear markets. There'll eventually be a fifth bear market. They alternate. You always have a bull market, then a bear market, bull market, bear market. So out of the 120 years, the entirety of the gains of that 120 years has come from those five bull market periods. So the point is, is that what is incredibly important, and those periods generally last anywhere from 10 years to 20 years, about max. 1900, uh, 1920 to 1929 had a 10-year period. 1980 to 1990 had a 20-year period, right? So, you know, it's those periods. And then we we see, we, we tend to forget about 1960 to 1974, really kind of 1960, 1980, that 20-year period where market prices really went nowhere. And after inflation, because you had a big spike in inflation, actual returns for investors were nearly negative 10%. So it really depends, most importantly, on where you start your investing journey, more so than how long you have to invest. 
Because if you happen to get caught into, if you start your investing journey today, as an example, with valuations where markets currently are right now, et cetera, your future expected rate of return is going to be fairly low. Now, does that mean, as we talked about before on the show, and we actually wrote a report on this, does that mean every single year is a low return? No, that's not what it means. It means that over the next decade, we're going to have a fairly big contraction, one or two, that are going to lower the total rate of return over that decade period to a very low number, somewhere between zero and 2%, somewhere in line with economic growth. And that's just the function of how things occur, right? 19, uh, so 2000, as an example, to 2013, 13-year period, markets went nowhere. Your rate of return was near zero because you had two 50% drawdowns during that period. Well, that can never happen again. Well, it will. Just a question of when. Do we have another decade in this current bull market cycle? Maybe, right? I mean, we've got tons of liquidity. You got a Fed back there just throwing stuff out at the markets left and right. Every time you tend to get some type of little economic wiggle woggle, um, you know, Feds jump in and start bailing out markets. So sure, could there be another decade of this market up cycle? Absolutely. Absolutely. When the payback comes, you never know. That's And see, and that's the big challenge, right? This is the big challenge of this, the, the whole idea of just buy and hold investing. See, the challenge is that if you started buy and hold investing in 2010, as an example, it's worked out really good for you, right? And that's been the thing to do now for the last decade is just put your money in and forget about it because markets just go up. The problem for buy and hold investors is knowing when not to buy and hold, 2000 through 2013 was not a period of buy and hold where it worked out well for you. So the problem with simple strategies is they don't help you avoid the losses, right? And that's the key. Making money is great, but if you lose it all, what was the point? So this is one of the things that is important to understand. You know, the one one things the media always does, especially in the financial media, is tell you, oh, you've, you know, if the S&P was up 10% last year, and if you weren't up as much as the market, you need to think about doing something else. You know, change advisors, buy a different fund, whatever. Well, the problem is, is the index, it's not real, right? Pays no taxes, has no expenses, it has no cash. Um, it gets the benefit of substitution effects. Has lots of benefits that you don't as an investor, Things that are that don't impact real capital like you have, you know, and those are things you have to deal with. But what's important is is that when markets are going up, it's it's fantastic, right? It's just it's easy. But if you wind up giving up all those gains and getting back to even, that's not the same thing as making money, right? You're just getting back to even. And the one thing that we never get back. And this is the most important thing, is that if we only have 20 years to retirement and we wind up getting into a cycle where returns are either exceptionally low or I lose a big chunk of my capital, yeah, I'm eventually going to get back to even. The problem is, is if it takes me five years to get back to even, that's five years of my retirement savings time horizon that I don't get back. I don't get years back. I can get my money back, but I never get the years back. That's the important thing. Anyway, we got a whole article coming out of that next week or so. We'll, we'll let you know when that comes out. On the website today, of course, is our latest article talking about the most profitable company in the world. It's not who you think. 
It's on the website now. Get by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Send us your questions, comments, emails. Let us know what we can do for you. And of course, get our latest blogcast and our newsletter on the website now our, uh, from this weekend. It's on the website now. Everything about the market's inflation and our positioning, realinvestmentadvice.com. See you tomorrow. It's a rich man's world.